0: Hi, Ling Ling.
1: Hey, Ryan.
0: When I talk to my colleague Ling Ling Wei, it's like she's talking to me from the future, saying things that I'll probably be saying after a few more weeks.
1: Um, you know, working from home is totally overrated, I have to tell you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ling Ling covers the Chinese economy from Beijing, so the kind of isolation that we're all just starting to experience in New York, she's been living with for months
1: Life in Beijing in the past three months has been quite weird. Usually in China, in big cities, you know, you see people everywhere. It's always crowded, but no. It was so eerily quiet. No restaurant was open, no bar was open, no coffee shop was open, no bookstore was open. But after
0: months of lockdown, Lingling says Beijing is starting to feel a little more
1: normal. You do get a sense of steadily coming back to life. You go out, uh, there are more people on the streets, more cars, subways more crowded, buses a little bit more crowded.
0: Social distancing measures are still in effect. Everyone's still wearing a mask. But they're also going to the park to play ping pong shopping at Apple stores, and going to restaurants, even if they have to sit several feet apart. And just like Beijing is showing signs of life, so is the Chinese economy.
1: 80% of industrial firms, you know, factories, they're open now, basically. They have resumed production.
0: But now, Ling Ling says, China is facing a new problem, one it didn't expect. It's open for business, but no one else is. Today on the show, China's attempt at an economic comeback and the lessons it holds for the rest of the world's economies. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knutson. It's Friday, March 27th. The only reason China can even think about an economic comeback is because it got its coronavirus caseload down. And it did it by doing things probably only China can do.
2: The steps they took to get to this point were extreme. They were draconian. They were intense.
0: Patrick Barda is the journal's Asia Enterprise
2: editor. You talk about sheltering in place. You talk about shutting down businesses in the United States. They still don't quite match up with what China did.
0: What China did was pull off the largest mass quarantine in human history up to that point. It restricted the movement of hundreds of millions of people, sick and healthy.
2: By our estimates, the government confined more than 500 million people at one point. That's more than the combined populations of the United States and Mexico in their homes. These people were stuck in their
0: homes for weeks at a time. And that meant a massive hit to the economy— Experts expect Chinese GDP to grow by just 1.5% this year, way below its target of 6%. But China was willing to pay that price. The government's theory? The sooner you contain the virus, the sooner you can open back up the economy. And the Chinese state pulled out all the stops to contain it. They were taking hundreds
2: of hotels and schools and other buildings and turning them into quarantine centers. They were testing on a massive scale in places like Wuhan. They were getting even healthy people who weren't testing positive for the virus but had contact with confirmed cases and putting them into quarantine
0: centers. The measures were harsh and invasive. The Communist Party used mass surveillance to trace patients' close contacts. It dispatched armies of enforcers to guard residences and restrict people's movement. All that raised eyebrows in the West. But the fact of the matter is, a lot of
2: people now think that that was successful. They think that that was something that worked.
0: What do we know about how well it did work? I mean, how under control is the virus right now in China? Well,
2: I mean, at one point, China was reporting thousands of new cases a day, and they had more than 50,000 cases overall in Wuhan, the the epicenter. But uh, in some days recently in Wuhan, there have been no new cases at all, and there are very few cases in other parts of the country. You know, some days the only new cases we're seeing in China are cases that have been imported from abroad. Are these numbers credible? Look, there's always some uncertainty about data in China. And people have raised some questions about the reliability of the coronavirus tallies. But we don't have any clear evidence, really, that anyone is manipulating those figures. And people do agree that there certainly is no problem like they had a few weeks ago.
0: One reason China was so successful is that it has a tool the U.S. doesn't, state-owned enterprises, or SOEs. Remember those reports about China building emergency hospitals in a matter of days?
2: Patients are now being treated at a new 1,000-bed hospital in China. Crews built that new hospital in just 10 days.
0: Ling Ling says China was able to pull that off because of SOEs.
1: So first of all, as soon as the outbreak started in the city of Wuhan, this big, giant, state-owned construction firm called China State Construction Engineering Corp. was called upon to build two brand new hospitals from scratch in the city of Wuhan.
0: Just hours after it got the order from Beijing, China State Construction Engineering Corp. had 20,000 employees working nonstop on the hospital project. Another SOE, China State Energy Company, made sure power ran to the construction site 24-7 other SOEs provided cement and machinery. But China didn't just use state companies to contain the virus. The government also used them to prop up the
1: economy. You also saw the government ordering big state conglomerates like, you know, some of them own property, they order them to slash rents for their tenants. They're usually restaurants, shops and others in the service area. And also banks, state banks, are being called upon to offer very low interest rate loans to companies that are struggling with cash flows.
0: State-owned enterprises were also instructed to keep unemployment down. The Chinese government asked SOEs not to lay people off.
1: You know, companies were telling me, yes, some of them have cut salaries and other forms of compensation for their employees, but they have been told definitely not to do any layoffs. Instead, they actually have been told to hire more. And because
2: China made all these moves? In many ways, China looks very good right now, surprisingly good. Most of the factories have reopened. They've estimated that about 100 million migrant workers have gone back to their jobs. So by some indications, things look a lot better. But if you dig deeper, that's where you start to find numbers that tell you a very different story. And I think that that story is is distressing.
0: Coming up, what's standing in the way of China's economic comeback and what it means for the rest of the world?
1: This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring... The best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Canva. It's time to ditch your old presentation programs at work and try Canva presentations instead. It'll help you create stunning slides in no time, no design experience needed. Just start with one of the designer made templates or generate something in seconds with AI, then polish it up and get ready to wow your audience. It's that easy. Nail your next work presentation with Canva Presentations at canva.com. Design for work. Tap the banner to learn more.
0: Welcome back. Up until a few weeks ago, economists were talking about a swift economic recovery in China, what some call a V-shaped recovery. In the depths of the outbreak, economic output plunged. That was the first part of the V. And the idea was the second part of the V would be a rapid upswing, just as steep as the drop. But even though businesses are starting to reopen now, that second part of the V, that upswing, it's looking less and less likely. It's still
2: early, but right now we are not seeing... A V-shaped recovery in China. And there are several reasons for that.
0: One is that even though Chinese factories are back up and running, they don't have anyone to sell to. Other countries are so busy fighting their own coronavirus outbreaks, demand for Chinese goods has plummeted. And that means big trouble for manufacturers like William Wong. He heads up a Hong Kong
2: shoe manufacturer that co-owns two plants in China. —
0: at the beginning of the outbreak, Wong's problem was that he couldn't get materials he needed from other parts of China to make his products. He had to delay an order of slippers he was supposed to send to the British retailer Marks & Spencer. But now, Wong has a different problem.
2: Now the problem is that his Western buyers just don't need all the stuff he makes, so they're reducing orders.
0: Apparently, no one feels much like buying slippers these
2: days. And so how do you keep all your employees, you know, online and keep paying them salaries if you don't have orders? It's an interesting, you know, turnabout for China because just a few weeks ago when Western countries seemed to be healthy, they were all, you know, worried about... Chinese supply chains and is China going to, you know, be the problem and is China going to drop the ball we can't get our stuff made because China can't give us the parts we need, blah, blah, blah. Now, China is sitting there ready to go, ready to produce products, but they can't find anyone in the West that wants to buy them. So, now they're worried about everybody in the U.S. and Europe. The shoe's
0: on the other foot. The slipper is on the other foot.
2: Yes. I think that may be one of the biggest lessons here, that, you know, we are all in this together. It's a globalized economy. It's a global pandemic.
0: Another thing that's suppressing China's economy is the fear that the virus could come back. That makes the government hesitant to relax restrictions, restrictions that make doing business a lot harder. You still have all these rules you got to follow in your factories. You have spacing for workers
2: and things like that. And authorities worry that if they lift all those rules, you know, entirely, the virus could come back. And that's, that's the kind of problem, I mean, in fact, all those problems, are the kinds of things that every country is going to have to face when they start coming out on the other end of this
0: tunnel. Every country will also have to face the issue of skittish consumers. Consumer spending is a huge part of the economy in places like the U.S., and a growing part of the Chinese economy, too, thanks to people like Vanessa Hu, a 31-year-old who is part of China's rising middle class. She told us that, you know, until the
2: current situation, she used to take several overseas trips a year. She took private Thai kickboxing classes. She, she spent a lot of money on cosmetics, she said. But now she's stressed. And she said to us, you know what? Our generation has never been through a major crisis in China. We always thought the economy would just keep growing. We didn't worry about saving for a rainy day. And wait a second, you know, what's just happened? So now she's saying she wants to rein in her spending. She wants to, in her words, start saving like crazy. And you start to multiply that, you know, through millions and millions of people making the individual decisions to curtail their spending. And that starts to add up to a lot of money.
0: The question now is how many people around the world are going to emerge from this crisis feeling like Vanessa?
2: Are people going to get back on planes right away? Are people going to spend the way they were right away? Are people going to be licking their wounds in their businesses for six months? That's kind of the kind of thing we're starting to see in China. So China's telling you, this
0: is hard. It's going to take a while. Consumer demand will come back eventually. And of course, the pandemic will end. But in China and around the world, the virus could be seeding long-term economic problems. China, like the U.S., is spending heavily right now to stimulate the economy to get through the crisis, which adds to their debt. And China had a lot of debt to begin with. If you look at what's happened in
2: China over the last 10 to 15 years, they spent considerable sums of money, hundreds of billions of dollars to stimulate the economy during the global financial crisis, which was great at the time. It had China, you know, basically driving almost half of global growth after that. But when the U.S. and Europe started dealing with a lot of their debt problems after the global financial crisis, China didn't. It just kept pouring the debt on really until just in the last couple of years. And so now China finds itself with very limited ability to spend heavily to get things going again because leaders fear that could lead to more you know, sort of financial danger.
0: China is at least two or three months ahead of the rest of the world. And while a lot of what's happened in China is specific to China, a lot isn't. So I asked Patrick and Lingling, what are the lessons that we need to hear from China?
1: Just, you know, the bright side of things is, you know, China's experience does tell people that this thing can be contained once you take it seriously. I do want to say to people in the US right now, please do take this seriously. (laughs) Take it seriously, don't panic.
2: Well, I don't know if it's a lesson, but I guess it's a fact. I mean, like the steps that they took to get to where they are right now, and, and right now we're not even saying that they've fully stopped the virus. We're saying that they seem to have slowed it down considerably, but we're not sure if it can come back. They went to extreme lengths to be able to get this far down the road. And we don't know if the United States is going to be willing to do those kinds of things. Now, one hopes that the United States will find its own way, a way that's consistent with its own sort of economic and political system that enables it to, within a matter of weeks or a month or so, which is really what it took in the case of Wuhan, get this thing into a place where it's trending down. I think what you've got to take from China's situation is that it takes a lot of work to get through this. It takes a lot. But I guess, you know, maybe if you want to take a glass half full uh, and not be too doomsdayish ish about it, it can be done.
0: That's all for today, Friday, March 27th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Kate Leinbaugh and me, Ryan Knutson. The show is made entirely at home by Peter Bresnan, Gerard Cole, Pia Gadkari, Renita Jablonski, Annie Minoff, Ricky Nevetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Dresser, and Rob Zipko. Our show is engineered by Griffin Tanner with help from Sam Baer. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music from Catherine Anderson, Marcus Bugala, Billy Libby, Bobby Lord, Peter Leonard, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Nicole Pasolka for fact-checking, and to Mike Bird, John Emont, and Sean Lee, and the rest of our colleagues in China for their reporting on this story. Thanks for
1: listening. See you on Monday.